Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646 716 4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Hello everybody, welcome to the program. It's Monday, August 21st, 2017, the total eclipse of the Sunday. And we're a total eclipse of the sun day. It's the day of the total eclipse. That sounds like a Sunday. Anyway, it's Monday. It's good to have you with us, everybody. We are broadcasting live from the the Mortgage Collaborative Summer Conference here in Nashville. And we're in the path of what's being referred to as totality. In other words, we're going to have total darkness, total eclipse, and we'll be taking a break, and it starts right after. We'll be experiencing full eclipse as we wrap up the program. So I'm going to be racing outside with my special glasses to watch this historic once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-generation kind of thing. So the last time was at uh, I believe it was 1918, we had an event like this across the country. So I don't know if that's quite accurate. So we, we let Alice research these things so she could tell us accurately because she keeps me in, in line on accuracy. So we love that. But we got the full crew. We got Alice and Joe here. Well, actually, we don't have the full crew. Andy Shell's not. But we do have Sam Garcia dialed in from Dallas. And it's so good to have you with us all. We have people dialing in. So this is the total eclipse. This is the eclipse program. We're excited to be doing it with you. And, yes, I'm talking from a hotel phone, and I was told by Sam that I don't sound quite as clear as normal. So apologize for the audio. Sometimes hotel phones are the best, and they work real well, but probably should have dried out in my cell phone. But, anyway, it's good to have you with us. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. And we're grateful to have you as a listener, and our commitment to you is to bring you timely information in an audio format that you can listen to anytime and anywhere. I love it. Like one person says, you're making my mind stronger, understanding what's going on in the industry as I work out, which making my body stronger. So, yeah, send some of that making my body stronger my way. I could use it lately. Anyway, listen and learn. We've got today in the Hot Topics segment the seventh in a series of the GSE reform. It's actually we're wrapping it up and we're beginning to move into a new topic. We're going to be talking about transitional licensing. You heard Alice give a report on that, a brief report on that last week. We're going to get into a little more depth on it in this program. So we want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, ArchMI, the creator of the innovative RateStar program, Motivity Solutions, now part of the Black Knight family, and very excited to have them as a new sponsor. They just signed the contract, so they'll be an added sponsor in addition to Motivity, as well as Velma, which is an efficient marketing and email platform helping you get the word out about your company and your message to a select group or to a large group. You definitely want to check them out. Simplify, real-time electronic communication exchange, allows you to communicate in real time with your closers and your funders and everyone that's out there in the chain of closing. It's really, they got that and along with their e-closing, a lot of services. we we'll talk about that a bit later, as well as the Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network. And it's, again, we're broadcasting from their summer conference here in Nashville at the Omni Hotel. Now we also want to say a special thank you to D&H. Well, it's now called Finastra. I'll make that transition. Finastra, formerly known as D&H, is can also a part of us. They're doing a lot of bringing these two companies, MySyst and D&H, together. And next week we'll be broadcasting live from Orlando, Florida, where I'll be attending the annual conference, their annual users conference. Looking forward to really getting insights into the what the new improved merged company of DNH and MySys looks like and that's called Finastra. Upcoming mortgage conferences. Alice was now we're just talking. We're making plans to get together at the annual MBA convention and expo in the Colorado Convention Center in Denver. So if you're planning if you're not planning to be there, I challenge you, I encourage you to be at that. Of all the conferences you could go to, that is definitely one of them. 
It's October 22nd through the 25th of this year. Make your reservations. Go out there and get registered. You can go to the MBA. Uh, you can Google MBA Conference and Education and see what the MBA is offering. Or you can head over to Sam Garcia's website because he's got a list of every conference, big and small, state, local, on up the national. Great list of what he has on his website, MortgageDaily.com. Also, while you're at the MBA site, sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance. You do not have to be a member of the MBA, and we're going to be having on a special program as we have so many important initiatives rolling through uh, the country and uh, through Congress, and they're so important. It's just so important. So we're going to have some folks of what you can do beyond Mortgage Action Alliance to have an effective word on what and, and communicate to your legislative representatives, uh, legislators on these important issues relating to the mortgage industry. Of course, we're going to be covering a lot of those topics in this, in the Hot Topic segment. But without further ado, Joe Farr, who is joining me here Hello. in Nashville. Good to have you here, friends. So let's talk Thank a little you. bit about last week, a little craziness for the markets. Well, Give us an update. We'll start, we'll start today because uh, I think Oh, yeah, you know, we should start today. Oh, yeah, there's no off. economic news coming out. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I jumped ahead. That was, I just was looking at it. Is it, is it because of the eclipse? What's going on? I mean, Must be. All... Must be. Everyone's outside <laughs> waiting for it, I guess. But now the, yeah. the MBS prices are unchanged on the day and pretty much hadn't changed much during the day. So it's been a very quiet morning. As you mentioned, no economic news uh, to report. Uh, but last week was a little crazy, wasn't it, with uh, all that went on and, and for the for all that the, for all the price movement I'll go through, there was essentially no net change in price from the beginning to the end of the week. So <clears throat> we didn't we didn't see any uh, any real change in in mortgage rates during the week. But during you know from day to day, it started out on on, <clears throat> on the retail sales numbers that came out on uh, when was that on Tuesday, and uh, yeah. they came out much much stronger than expected, almost double. The growth in retail sales XIO was almost double what was expected, and uh, of course uh, that was well received by the stock market and well received uh, uh, for the economy. But it was a little bit hard on mortgage rates and MBS prices. MBS prices fell about twenty twenty five basis points during the day on that day. Uh, we got it back though on uh, on Wednesday when the when the minutes from the July twenty sixth meeting came out, the Fed meeting came out. Uh, what they seem to indicate was that there are more people on the Fed who are uh, who are seeing an opportunity to wait a little longer before they need to raise Fed funds rate. It, it didn't move the overall expectation for Fed funds rate too much. Uh, the chances of a December um, increase are still pretty high, but uh, they did come down just a touch, and the market seemed to like that. MBS prices improved on the uh, overall. Um, you know the 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 weakness or the the ease of monetary policy that that uh, seemed to be read in those minutes. And then uh, Dave also on Wednesday afternoon, uh, that's when all the the Trump administration issues started uh, that's right. snowballing, and uh, the market unfavorably to that for stocks. We had a pretty big market sell-off. You remember there was a concern that Cohn was going to. Uh, resign and and that that started a, a stock market sell off of uh, 150 points or so, uh, but uh, uh, all in all that contributed to the Fed minutes to essentially uh, you know reverse what had happened the day before with retail sales. Thursday, the political issues continued and we saw a little bit of improvement on uh, MBS prices at that time as well. Uh, then on Friday, Steve Bannon. Uh, his resignation became uh, known and, and identified as for as far as the time, and and that seemed to kind of calm the market a little bit. That Steve was going to be out, and maybe cooler heads were going to prevail inside the administration. Uh, so again, for the week, there was not any real net movement in MBS prices or mortgage rates from start to end, but again, no volatility during the week. This week's going to be really light for economic news. Who knows what will drive the market, though, with all the strange things that, that drove it last week. The economic news that comes out this week includes uh, new and existing home sales, new home sales on Wednesday, existing home sales on Thursday, 
and then durable orders on Friday. But, uh, yeah, I can't say that you need to pay a whole lot of attention to any of those other than uh, just keep your eye on the market and see if uh, fallout from any of the recent headlines causes much of a movement. Yeah, it'll be real interesting. The home sales numbers are the ones we're going to be most interested in as they look at existing home sales. Want to see what new homes? I guess just got to get these inventory issues dealt with. That just continues to be one of the the bigger issues out there. It seems like at so many of the markets we're hearing about, but there are some markets that we're seeing some slowdown in. So it'd be interesting to look at the regionalized numbers out of this. These numbers that you'll be posting will be the national numbers. Uh, but it'll be real interesting to dial in some of the regional aspects, even some of the bigger MSAs, and see which ones are really the stronger ones. So, could be a real good insight into the housing market, which gives us insights into what our customers, our lenders, are going to be dealing with. So, Joe, good job. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. you dialing in. I know you're going to drop and head out to watch the uh, start watching the eclipse. I want to say thank you for taking time to pull aside here at the conference and dial in and be with us, friend. Have a look forward to seeing uh, you outside in a little bit here. I'll be joining you. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye. You bet. You bet. Folks, if you don't have this service called MBS Quote Line, you can get it. You can get it at a good price. In fact, Joe will even give you a special, giving you some weeks or mo- even some months. Talk to him about getting a free sample of this and free access to the system. He gives it away, and you can learn more. And we'll be, by listening to this brief ad, we'll be right back right after this brief ad break with Alice Alvey. Up there in the, the Cleveland area, giving us a report on Economic uh, uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information convenient available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to mbsquoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. mbsquoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. So good to have you with us, everybody. Alice Alvey here is not going to give us an economic update. She's giving us a legislative update. I tell you, I'm dealing with some latency here. we got really slow Internet connections up here, Alice. Don't know what it is with the hotel or if it's the Eclipse stuff. Everyone's dialed in to <laughs> watch it or wherever. But anyway, apologize for that. Good to have you with us, Alice. What you got for us today? Hey, well, just, hello, everybody, and uh, happy Eclipse Day or whatever the happy saying is day. for the day, Good. right? Happy Eclipse yeah. Day. By the way, there will be another one. People keep saying this is the last eclipse in our lifetime. Well, that's only true if you say the last one that crosses, you know, coast to coast. In 2024, there actually will be another eclipse, and it runs up from Texas up through the Cleveland and northeastern part of the United States. Ah. So we only have seven years to go, and you can all come to Cleveland. So we'll be having a party here then. Interesting. So So it runs from where to where, Texas to where, up to uh, yeah, the path, I think, is from through parts of Texas, yeah, so from south to north in 2024. Yeah, so check it out. Get in the line. Yeah. I got to go do that. Yeah, so there you go. All the hype over this one got me blinded by that one. That's interesting. Seven years there out. There you go. Interesting. The things you learn from TED Talks, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> I love TED Talks. We both enjoy those together. So, okay, so is there anything eclipsing the news? I know we're on a summer break, so there's not a lot of news. A lot of our listeners really appreciated the summary you gave on the GSE reform. But is there anything else out there that's – what's what's got your attention? You talked about transitional licensing. We're going to hear more about that from Pete. But um, anything else out there? Well, I think that's what I'll do again this time, right? So for those of you who don't necessarily know the scoop on transitional licensing, to just kind of tee up Pete's conversation later on, um, it is uh, Senate Bill 1743 and House Bill 2948. And now that we have two bills, we're hoping for a better than 10% chance that this might make it somewhere, with the idea being that if I'm moving from a bank to a lender, 
you know, in theory, I am not, I don't have to be licensed at a bank because they provide the training and they provide the background information that would or, and background checks that would be similar to if I was at a lender. Now, certainly those loan officers are registered, but they're not licensed. They haven't taken the 20 hours formally, and they ha- uh, they haven't taken uh, passed the safe exam. So the idea being. They should be able to still earn a living once they get into a lender shop, if they're moving from a bank to a lender, until they can finish those steps. Now, our teams, when they come on board, if we hire someone from a bank, they get through that relatively quickly. But, you know, two weeks to a loan officer can be a lifetime, can be an awful lot of money. Um, So the idea would be that there's some rules involved in order for this to happen. It's very reasonable. Um, I think the banks can't push back on it. Otherwise, it's like saying, well, you mean your people aren't qualified today? So (laughs) your people must be qualified Mm -hmm. because they're doing it today. So I am very much in favor of this legislation. Um, And there's a few rules behind it, uh, you know, that they haven't been denied in the past. They're not under a cease and desist. They haven't been convicted of a felony. And they have been registered for the last 12 months and they are actually employed by a licensed mortgage company. So someone can't do this if they just simply lost their job at a bank. They would have to be moving from a bank to a lender, and then they would uh, fit under transitional licensing. So that's the key up for uh, the second segment. Blood insurance bills haven't moved anywhere. We are continuing to watch those. And then uh, one quick note is there is a proposed rule out there And when I last talked about it was at the uh, middle of July, the actual publication date for comments on the TILA changes, Truth in Lending Act and CD disclosure uh, proposed rules weren't published until August 11th. And so the good news is that means we have all the way until October 10th to comment on this. Um, I'll give you a quick highlight on things you want to be sure that you are commenting on. They seem like small changes, but they're big deals when you're trying to go close a loan. Uh, We all deal with this four-day CD rule at some companies and the way that some software systems are programmed. This proposed rule, it's uh, 3170AA61. <laughs> From the right, that if you go to their website, you'll see it under proposed rules. And well, it's a long one, but the two key areas I'm watching are we want them to eliminate this four-day rule, and we want them to be able to say we can issue a CD at any time, even earlier, as part of redisclosing. A lot of custom lenders are really good at getting CDs out early, and if we need to re-disclose, we want to be able to do that using the CD without this uh, four-day uh, maximum limitation out there. Another component is uh, this uh, is certain fees that the borrower, um, if we left off a fee or we under-disclosed a certain fee um, at, these, at these last minutes um, and it was related to the service providers list, uh, today, you might, your company policy might have you uh, paying cost to cure. This actually clarifies that you would not have to pay a cost to cure if your uh, fee was eliminated or was not showing on the service provider's list and you under-disclosed it by less than 10%. So um, okay. I think today, if I left something off the service provider's list, and, you know, and I didn't have it disclosed right, then people are paying 100% cure. So there's just some little tweaks that your compliance department is digging into, make sure somebody at your company is responding that, yes, we want to move forward with the proposals for the CFPB because actually these are examples of items that are going to make our life a little easier and hopefully save a few of those picky redisclosure moments that we come up with uh, just prior to closing. Uh, so that's my report for today, Dave, uh, the, the TF Transitional Licensing and this one proposed rule that uh, folks have a little bit more time to go check out, uh, and you have till October 10th to comment. Very good, Alice. Appreciate it so much, taking time out of your busy day. And uh, how are loan origin? What are you hearing about originations across the, the different parts of the country? Someone asked me and say, Alice is now back in the shop. Does she, you know, how are their originations doing? And and what are you hearing from other lenders out there? I'm I'm hearing things are down. I heard some some lenders are down as much as forty percent. Well, at Union Home, we are a purchase shop, so we are not feeling decline. We are growing, so we do know Good. that when we talk to other shops, is that is not necessarily the case. And um, so. 
we do hear definitely out there from, uh, you know, friendly competitors and other companies we keep in touch with that volume definitely is down for a lot of folks. Um, but for those who are very focused on purchases, uh, it is good. And now as a home buyer and seller myself, <laughs> I will tell you yeah. that, you know, <laughs> uh, my two markets I did, so I am trying to sell in Detroit and looking at buying in Cleveland. Um, in many price ranges, those have become buyer's markets and are not seller's oh. markets anymore. So interesting real shift that's happening. You have to really know your local markets. It's not across the country that inventory is low. Someone just shot us an email and said, ask Alice if she's going to go to the traditional route or is she going to do basically follow the online? Are you going to do, you know, sit with a loan officer and do that? They're, they're betting on I bet Alice is going to use more of the uh, uh, the technology approach, commonly referred to generically out there as the rocket mortgage approach. Which, which way are you going to go when you buy? <laughs> hey, I'm in a mortgage company now, right? So I can just, yeah. uh, you know, I'll go with our company process and, I'm, I'm still going to uh, have the opportunity to be able to sit with somebody uh, to tee that up. So anyway, yes, um, well, but that's a great question because I text that person that's borderline prying, but I know Alice well enough, so at least she'll make some comments <laughs> oh, I'm about okay. that. So. Hey, what's prying that's anymore good. with the radio show? How long have we been doing this now? For seven years? Oh my, yes. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, you do a great job. So grateful you and Joe have been here since the very, very beginning. And so grateful to have you be a part of it, Alice. So you have a great solar eclipse day and look forward to Thank having you. you back next week. I'll be in Florida and you'll be up there and we'll be talking about it. I probably even wish I was up there because it's such great climate. All right, especially at this time of the year. Alice, thanks so much. We're going to be right back after this brief ad break. Most important that you know about the Collaborative, it is a great program. When we're working with different companies, the Mortgage Collaborative, one is that or the way you connect with people is so important. There's no better way to do it in a more intimate setting. And here's a brief word of how you can do just that. We'll be right back after this brief break. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. Are you using one of those expensive CRMs that your loan officers won't use? If so, then give my friends at Velma a call and let them help you create a customer journey that relies on the data and not on loan officer interaction. I encourage you to consider working with Velma to create a truly automated marketing experience for your organization. Velma makes marketing automation easy. Schedule a demo today at Velma.com, V-E-L-M-A.com. So good to have you with us, everybody. By the way, I mentioned, forgot to mention it at the conclusion of Alice's segment that we now have our new website up and running. The Lickin' on Lending website is there, and if you want detailed notes or you want to go just listen to what Alice has said over the segments, roll over and click on her picture on the main website or you can do it for Joe or for anybody out there and you will get an update on what's going on. Uh, you'll see all of their, their messages stacked in there. Someone texted me, have we forgotten about Les Parkers because his message is always so entertaining and i uh, love to get his thoughts on what's happening there. So I'm um, looking for Les's updated comments. For some reason, they're not right here in front of me. Maybe we can get those updated. Hopefully those got uploaded. Anyway, folks, it's good to have you with us. we got Sam Garcia here with us today. It's always fun to get Sam on and give us an update on the headlines. What you got, friend? Hey, David. Thanks for having me on on this hot day. Hot. And uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, day. it looks... <laughs> it looks like Freddie Mac issued its economic outlook for August, and that reflected $292 billion in second-half refinances expected. That was up uh, from $255 billion that it predicted a, predicted a month earlier. So in, increased, you know, continued improvement in the refinance outlook for this year. Um, 
But, you know, with Freddie Mac's, even though they raised the second half outlook, they actually took it, uh, it came at the expense of the second quarter estimates. So they basically offset it and the overall year still looks the same. Over at Fannie Mae, um, its projection for refinances this year, also released last year, and next year was raised by more than $40 billion from its July outlook. So better uh, refinance outlook there, too. Uh, Another uh, thing I wanted to cover along the lines of refinances is that um, the increases in their forecasts, at least uh, Friday for the second half and Fannie for this year and next year, um, came as volume at the refinance volume at the GSEs climbed to nearly 122,000 transactions in June from less than 117,000 uh, the prior month. So um, that was according to FHA and just reflecting, uh, you know, their obviously their uh, improved outlook for refinances. Um, Now, on Friday, both Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac announced that they will not require full appraisals on some purchase money transactions. Um, And so, you know, that's going to act... Yeah, that's actually going to make it a little bit less expensive and costly, uh, you know, for for the transactions that qualify. Fannie made a note, though, that, you know, it still expects a majority of its purchase money refinances still to have, I'm sorry, purchase money transactions to have uh, full appraisals on them. But at least we're heading in the right direction there, though I'm sure our appraisal audience probably isn't real happy about that particular move. No. Um for the third week in a row, a decline in purchase business more than offset a gain in refinances and pulled down our overall mortgage market index. Uh, and that index, of course, is based on rate lock volume over at Open Close, um, our partner with that index. Um, now, Inc. Inc. Magazine released its list of the 5,000 fastest growing companies in the country. Um, those are privately owned. And Three mortgage companies made the top 500 firms listed on that uh, ranking. Um, they were number 83, Griffin Funding, um, which I hadn't even heard of before, but um, they were the only firm to actually rank among the top 100 fastest-growing companies. Number 188 was Mortgage Financial Services, and number 445 was Arcus Lending. So kind of some names that really everyone isn't real familiar with. You know, of course, other companies made the list, but not the top 500. They were more, I think, in the range of 1,000 and up, uh, like Movement Mortgage. And, and of course, you know, the first year that you make that list is much easier than subsequent years because your multiple is growing off of a bigger net income that you have to increase off. So you see those numbers start to fall over time anyway. Um, One big story last week that we got was the fallout – still continues at Wells Fargo for the fake account scandal. Um, a Wire News Service story we Yeah, the not, a Wire News Service story we published uh, indicated that three board members, including the chairman, will be leaving at the end of the year. So taking over as chairman of the bank holding company is formal, former Fed official Elizabeth Duke. So I, a lot of people are familiar with that name, and some may be more comfortable as investors. We'll see. Uh, but finally, I wanted to focus on this week um, – Ellie May put out its uh, origination insight report. Always have some really good, rich data coming out of that thing. Um, and then this last report, which basically covers uh, loans that were original, or I'm sorry, closed during uh, July. Um, VA share made up 10% of loans, um, and that was up from a 9% mortgage market share a year earlier. Now, on the other side of that, you got conventional share, which thinned to 64% from 65% in July 2016. And then FHA share narrowed to 22% from 23%. So, yeah, you saw a little bit of a pickup uh, in closed loans with VA share. So we'll see if that continues. Um, the closing rate, which reflects the share of applications that were started in the preceding 90-day period that closed, that rose to 70.6% in July from 70.3% in the same month in, uh, last year. Not really much of a change. Uh, on conventional loans, the closing rate was nearly 71%, while it dropped to 69% on FHA loans and less than 68% on VA mortgages. So you can see that it can be a little more profitable, at least based on the share of loans that close, to do conventional business and government business. Um, turn times have been trimmed to 43 days on all loans from 46 days in July 2016. So uh, we've seen the turnaround speed up by three days over this last year. 
Um, on conventional transactions, it was 42 days. On FHA loans, 44 days, and 46 hmm. days on VA mortgages. So uh, VA, of course, which uh, often has the lowest rates lately, uh, has the longest turn times. Um, also, over the last year, we've seen some uh, some more flexibility from lenders, and and I'm basing this on uh, average FICO scores. Um, they've been reduced by three points uh, compared to a year ago uh, in, the, in the latest report, and then debt-to-income ratios have increased. So, um, yeah, a little bit more flexibility occurring is always a good sign because that means investors obviously are willing to take a little bit more risk, and uh, but hopefully never too much risk. So, so there you have it, some of the biggest headlines. We've got a whole lot more news, but uh, these are the ones oh, I can a lot more. And, they can go to, and, and they can go to your website and check it out. It's mortgagedaily.com, folks. If you haven't signed up for that and i strongly recommend it it's a great resource for a lot of information and even better added to it the great information is the data that he has there so sam do a good job thank you so much for participating and enjoy the here, apocalypse right? eclipse <laughs> yeah yes yeah, so we're in totality and the totality path so we're looking forward to it it's already side i got the tv up here in the room looking at uh, how it has uh, already begun to happen and so be fun. Thank you so much, Sam. Have a blessed rest of the day. I'll be hoping, looking you, forward to getting you back too. to Texas myself soon. All right, folks, we're going to be right back with a word from Finastra and uh, David Bowling. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hey, thanks a lot, David. Finastra is extremely proud to be a key sponsor of the Lickinon Lending Program. Known formally as DNH, Finastra's global lending division provides end-to-end solutions and innovation to the full spectrum of lenders, including independent mortgage bankers, community banks and credit unions, and even the largest banks globally. Learn more about how you provide an innovative digital experience for your borrowers by leveraging our multi-channel point-of-sale solution, which includes the new MortgageBot Mobile, by visiting our website at finastra.com. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. Thanks, David. It's spring home buying season and lenders are competing for business. With Archimai RateStar, you can dominate your market and claim the lion's share of business. How? RateStar allows you to assess individual loan risk more precisely. If you're hunting for more profitable business, RateStar helps you capture and close more of those loans. With RateStar, you're leader of the pack. Partner with Archimai and lead with us. So true. We appreciate our sponsors. Uh, Les Parker's clip was just uploaded, and we're excited to get a market macro market update. Let's apologize for not getting this played earlier in the show, but it's good no matter when we can slip this in. Also, love the music parody this week. So here you go, folks. Les Parker. Folks, I'm excited to have with us Pete Mills. Yes, I hit the wrong one there. There's Les Parker. Hey, Loan Logics right. appreciates the opportunity to share Market Logics live with your audience. Bonds want to know, have you ever seen a drain? Bonds want to know, have you ever seen a drain going down from the central banks? Central banks create a moral hazard with extensive accommodation. High uncertainty and low volatility are emblematic of moral hazard. Reliance on G4 intervention undermines vigorous markets. To restore economic health across the globe, stocks need to kick their QE money addiction. If they stay true to their normalization intentions, rates will drop dramatically before dramatically rising. Normalized monetary policy will lead to healthy global investment, but that will mean higher volatility. These views are my own. Go to LoanLogics.com to subscribe to my daily news well, I like those those music parodies. Brings back memories every time I listen to one of them. Good job, Les Parker. Appreciate you so much. Now, for our interview with Pete Mills, we're concluding our series on GSE reform. And without further ado, let's get in and listen to what Pete Mills has to say for us. 
You'll enjoy this interview. A lot of information. Again, you can go to the Lincoln on Lending website afterwards, and you can click on and we'll be loading up just Pete's segment in the Hot Topics segment so you can listen to the information that he provides uh, if you want to listen to all the, all the reviews on just those sections. So in the Hot Topics section, you'll have a list of every, uh, every one of the programs we've ever done, as well as specifically the most recent ones on GSE reform. So without further ado, Here's Pete Mills. Folks, I'm excited to have with us Pete Mills, Senior Vice President of the MBA. He's responsible for residential policy and member engagement. And he is an advocate for the Independent Mortgage Bankers Association. He's got a fancy title, but if you really want to know what he's passionate about and what he's working on, is Independent Mortgage Bankers. It is a significant focus now of the MBA. I guess it always has been, but there's now a group that is really formed, and it started with Bill Cosgrove, and some would say it's been going on longer than that, but Pete is the one that's been hired to make sure the MBA has a strong ongoing initiative. Pete, good to have you on the program with us, friend. Yeah, thanks for the invitation, David. I'm happy to be here. Well, as you know, Pete, we've been covering GSE reform, and I want to use you as the bookend that wraps up this discussion. And I thought what would be really interesting, we had Glenn and Scott on last week, a CMLA, CHLA, but there's other associations involved in speaking to those that are going to be writing policy and passing laws on this very legislation, on this very important issue. I thought it'd be a good idea for you to contrast and compare what the MBA's position is to the ABA, ICBA, CMLA, CHLA, and NAFCU. Anyway, there's a lot of associations out there, Pete. Tell us about each one of them, and then give us a little insights on how they contrast, if you could. So the alphabet soup there, David, of associations cover uh, the American Bankers Association, the ABA, independent community bankers, and then Glenn and Scott's groups, uh, the community mortgage lenders and community housing lenders groups. And then NAFQ uh, represents the National Association of Federal Credit Unions. And I think the significant difference in the GSE debate this time around is that it's beginning, unlike in 2013 with uh, Corker Warner, Johnson Crapo, I think there have been a significant number of reforms that we've been advocating for for the past few years that have been put in place. And so the playing field for GSE reform is much shorter, if you will. But I think that more importantly for the independent community bankers and the community banks and the smaller lenders, the debate this time is beginning with serious discussions about how do we preserve small lender access, fair access, transparent access to the system. That really wasn't happening at the beginning of the debate in 2013. And as you saw a couple of weeks ago, and also in the kickoff hearing, it's been a centerpiece of the discussion. So I think that's a, a good news story for the independent mortgage bankers. I think that we go through some of this, you'll see there is also a beginning to see a lot of alignment around some of the core issues as well. That's encouraging. And I think the thing that I want to underscore, we've been saying all along, is everybody, uniformly, left to right from the extreme left to the extreme right, all want to see this happen. So there's not an issue or conflict with should GSE reform is. It's just how it should take form. And there's actually pretty good alignment overall on some areas. So let's talk about some of the outliers. And what I'm looking for is Andy Shellen, who's the profit doctor on our segment, has been a bit on the speaking, his pessimism that this is going to come together because of the differences. So let's focus just briefly. Where are the greatest differences that line up, and why is the MBA's model probably the one that is, is in best interest of independent mortgage bankers? And I think, quite maybe biased, but for the entire housing finance system in America, who is the greatest outlier on there that we should be paying attention to? Well, I think to, you need to break this down on two dimensions. One is the substance of what we want the end state reform to look like. The second is the process by which we get there. On the former, on, on what the end state should look like, I think there is a tremendous amount of alignment emerging across all the associations. And you know, we spent 15 months with a task force made up of a cross-section of the entire industry, but strong representation from some of the top senior executives in a half a dozen or more independent mortgage bankers were part of this task force and spent a lot of time trying to think through what are the things that need to be baked into the new system to ensure that GSE reform doesn't result in what I call the reaggregation of the market. What we saw through the late 90s and early 2000s was the GSE's model, of each of them, of bringing in business was built around dealing with a handful of counterparties 
and letting them aggregate the business from all the small lenders. And small lenders lost their direct access to the system. And we want to make sure going forward that GSE reform does not result in that reaggregation. We now have well over a thousand counterparties for each GSE. Many, if not most of them, are now selling direct. Some are selling servicing released, some are selling retained, but we want to keep that dynamic in the marketplace. And so as we put together our plan, we spend a lot of time thinking around how do we make sure from not only the structure of the system, but how that system is regulated, make sure that the current direct access is, is maintained in the system. And I can walk through some of those if you want. Yeah, let's do that. Please do. Yeah, so some of the core principles, first and foremost, is simply requiring equitable access to the secondary market as part of the regulatory mandate of the new regulators. So, you know, today we have a system where, you know, we've, we've been able to weed out the preferential pricing and the unique underwriting variances that were given only to the handful of larger volume customers of the GSEs. And so in addition to simply, first and foremost, in the system, we would prohibit preferential pricing and disparate underwriting standards, but also as part of that, give the regulator a mandate. And we talk a lot about a utility-style regulator. We believe that regulator needs to be given the authority to ensure, one of its mandates is to ensure direct access and fair access to the system. So it's not only a change in the way the GACs operate, it's a change in the way the regulator regulates. So how does that contrast with, that's the MBA, and we all agree with that. Uh, ABA, does that, does their, does their position, if you could go down the line with ABA, American Bankers Association, Independent Community Bankers Association, and the others, if you could kind of just say how much variance is on that and point? That's a great point. So that's, that's one of those issues, both the broad theme of requiring equitable access and the specific prohibitions on disparate pricing. Virtually all the associations have sort of followed our lead in our paper and in their principles documents all put out uh, the need for direct equitable access and also on the prohibition of preferential pricing. I believe the ABA plan is silent on the preferential pricing issue, but it does cover you know, the, the direct access issue. So the differences that I see in, in, in virtually all of our core small lender principles, the differences I see between the groups are really ones of degree and not of core principles. That's really good. Let's talk about the bright line, as you say here, and the MBA says, between the primary and secondary markets to ensure that the GSEs, guarantors, do not compete with lenders. Talk about that. How much variance is there on that? I agree with that principle. We, we need to make sure there's no competition between the primary and the secondary markets. And there has been in the past one, back in the old days. Absolutely. And that's been an issue for us for really almost two decades now of trying to you know, the GSC charters explicitly say they can't engage in, in origination, but that is not a defined term. And so we have spent you know, some bit of time trying to flesh out and, and bring more clarity about, around what we call that bright line between the primary and the secondary. And right. so we would clarify that in our reform legislation. And the, really the goal here is to make sure that, uh, when, particularly now when everything is technology-focused, that technology comes to the marketplace in a way that doesn't force lenders to pick a single vendor. We want there to be open architecture when it comes to rolling out new technology. We understand the need. You have to have pilot programs and that sort of thing. But those programs need to be rolled out with the idea that uh, other vendors could meet you know, the, the core standards that the GSE set and that we would have this dynamic market of multiple vendors all competing. And that has been a core principle of ours. I believe if you look at the, the other trade association plans, that's certainly in ours. I, I think the ABA and the independent community bankers uh, have also uh, aligned around that. But that's, again, one of those issues that it's not explicitly discussed in some of the other small lender group papers. But again, I think if we spent time in a room working through this, I think there'd be alignment around that issue as well. Yeah, I, I would assume so. And that's what I picked up when, at least when we were talking with Scott and Glenn, there seemed to be alignment on that. I think the preferential treatment as far as pricing and different underwriting standards has been an issue in the past. And it appears that that one also has, for the most part, a good alignment. Is that accurate yeah, to say? I think, that's, I think that's accurate. Again, the differences are in, in degree and not in, in the core principle that the preferential pricing and, and preferential underwriting, program access, those things 
should not be limited or restricted uh, based upon the delivery volume or the size of the lender. And, and we want to make sure that you know, when you roll out a pilot program, for example, it's important to, to do pilots with small lenders, not just the largest. And so right. those are things that we would expect the regulator to have as part of its charter. I'm looking at all these various features that are out there in this discussion, and, and I think it's important that we talk about all of them. So I'm going to move on to a couple others because I also want to get to transitional licensing here in a little bit. Let's talk about the mandates that credit risk transfers be designated to avoid market concentration. Now, the MBA is not explicit on that, nor is the ABA, but others do have some opinions. Why are you not explicitly discussing that or having a opinion on that. Yeah, and this is a strict, uh, the chart you're looking at, David, is sort of a strict reading of our outline. But if you look at our broader right. plan, if you go back to the work we've done, really going back three or four years now on credit risk transfer, we have been pushing uh, on CRT transactions that are accessible to small lenders. Oh, Concern with some of the early CRT proposals or, or, or programs were that they were excessively complex. You needed to have a high level of capital markets expertise to bring one of these deals to the GSEs. So we've been pushing for things like a deeper upfront mortgage insurance. Every small lender has a relationship with an MI company. And so small lenders should be able to deliver into the CRT structures using deeper MI as, as one example of, a, of an accessible, scalable credit risk transfer that's available to them. And again, as part of all of this, it is important that you know CRT credit risk transfer not be used to undermine the overarching principle, once again, of maintaining level level GCs across the delivery profile. Right. Pete, one of the tenets in the MBA plan or paper discusses the need for both a cash window and MBS execution options. That is really important. Talk about that briefly. And it looks like, again, it's mostly decent alignment there. And we'll get to the where there is an alignment in just a minute. But talk about that. The cash window, so important. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, so, again, this is a, a change in the discussion uh, from three or four years ago where some of the small lender execution options were really secondary to the discussion. So, to your point, there is really broad alignment across all the associations that in the new system, Fannie and Freddie, which in our plan would be rechartered, and then we would also allow other guarantors somebody wants to bring capital to bear and bring some competition, we, we support that, but they would have to do so with the requirement that they would maintain a cash window and maintain small pool execution options. And there is good alignment across the industry on that. And again, we're beginning that discussion. If you go back to the Johnson-Crapo debate, they sort of handled that by saying, well, let's, let's create a small lender mutual and all the small lenders can play over in that part of the field. Well, you know, that really wouldn't have been an effective execution for small lenders. Through this requirement to maintain the cash window, you know, we, we think it, it allows the small lenders to participate in the core of the market and not just be shunted over into a, you know, here's your little mutual uh, and all the, all the cool stuff happens over here. So we started this debate this time around with a focus on the, on the small lender execution options. Well, I think it's such an important one. Let's get to where there is some differences, and and I would say stark differences. It's probably one of the only areas, and it, prov and it has to do with providing statutory limits on lender ownership of GSEs and guarantors. Yeah, so one of the things that we, and we were the first to sort of highlight this issue, in fact, it was part of our advocacy back in 2013 and 2014, we were sort of alone on this one back at that point in time was to make sure that in the new system, you didn't have a lending institution, uh, you know, a large uh, bank holding company, uh, owning and controlling its own guarantor. And so in putting this together, we have two challenges. Uh, one, we want to prevent that aggregation of market power. On the other hand, we, we're, we're building a system, we're recharting Fannie and Freddie, and in doing so, we need to raise 150 to $200 billion in capital. So those are the twin goals here. You need to raise capital. The financial services industry can bring capital to bear. So what we looked at this as, you know, let's let a financial institution own a small piece, uh, passive interest, if you will, in a guarantor, right. but let's limit that so that they don't aggregate what I would say is a controlling interest. And right. we looked through all of the financial uh, regulations, and there are various definitions of controlling interest, ranging from 50.1% 
some of the SEC rules, 25% some of the banking rules. We found a, a 10% presumption of control, uh, which is the lowest uh, indicator we could find of a controlling interest, and we propose that in our paper. We think that is uh, the absolute limit. We want to have an open debate about whether that number is the right number, but we went with a 10% cap. That was, uh, again, drawn from an FDIC limit or definition of controlling interest, and there are some who suggest the number should be zero, and I would argue that that would make it difficult to raise the kind of capital necessary to recapitalize our system. Right. Um, so somewhere between zero and 10 is the right answer, and we think there can be an open and honest debate about where to set that number. There are other ways to do this, too. You could theoretically maybe have a different lower limit for the largest, the, the globally systemically important financial institutions, what we call the G-SIFIs. You know, maybe there's a different limit for them to prevent a potential aggregation of power. You can also address it through, and we already have existing limits on collusion from, from the FTC. So there are ways you can mitigate the, the aggregation of power while still bringing passive equity interest to bear in this new market. So again, I think this is one where there are degrees of difference that should not be uh, overhyped into some massive uh, difference between our plan and some of the other plans. That's a really good point. Good. That's really excellent. Anything out there, any discussion about changing the capital, the minimum capital requirements for independent mortgage bankers to get approved to the GSEs? Is there anything in any of the plans that raises that or readdresses those levels? I'm certain they're not rolling back to the previous anything of a lower no, limit no, capital. No, no. We'd never go down to two two fifty two hundred fifty thousand from the no. old days. None of the plans propose any specific changes in that in that space. You know, you hate to tie the regulators' hands in perpetuity, so we're mostly silent on that. We're not seeing a tremendous amount of pressure for uh, higher capital. I always tell our smallest uh, our smallest members if if you're at the minimum, you know, you you want you need a cushion in case they go down that path, but yeah. Um, we're not seeing a need for it right now. I think liquidity is the bigger issue, and we're working with our small members to develop some benchmarking metrics that they can use to make sure that not only are they meeting the minimum requirements, they're leveraging some of the some best practice metrics uh, on liquidity management as well. So that's always an issue for the independent, and but not looking at specific proposals to, to change well, the, the minimum standards there. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're talking about that because and that gives an example of – what you're doing, the advocacy you're doing on Capitol Hill, but also advocacy for helping them how to manage their business. A lot of guys get into the mortgage business. They're great originators. Their business grows, but they don't understand the capital requirements and the cash flow cards, how cash can, is yeah. king in this. And so the more the MBA can pour into that, it's, it's just a great example of how you are supporting helping these guys mature from being good originators to being really great mortgage bankers. I applaud you for that. Going back to the statutory limits, uh, that that's where the camel's nose can get in the tent. It's really important that we double down and have clear definition so that there's no back doors for the big guys to get a hold and get control of Fannie Freddie, the GSEs, or in any way, shape, or form. So double down on that one. I'm pleased to hear you working <laughs> on it because it, it is the camel's nose or where the camel's nose can get in the tent and we find ourselves in unattended areas. Another big initiative that's so important, Pete, that you have underway on behalf of the independent mortgage bankers has to do with the transitional licensing. Loan officers moving from a regulated institution to a non-regulated institution where licensing is required. You've made some progress on that. Give us an update. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is an issue we worked on uh, last Congress, uh, got a bill through the House of Representatives with uh, unanimous votes along the way, but the clock ran out on us. So we are back at it again this Congress, and we have a bill in the House, uh, H.R. 2948, already with close to 20 bipartisan co-sponsors on that bill. Uh, and then just right before the August recess, Senator Heller, a Republican from Nevada, and Senator Menendez, a Democrat from New Jersey, introduced the Senate Companion Measure, S-1753. And as you said, those bills are designed to uh, really do three things. One, help the non-bank lender recruit for talented loan officers without having to, you know, the bank loan officers, uh, they have experience, uh, they're knowledgeable, they know what they're doing, they're in the market today originating. We think that the licensing, while we support licensing, they should be given a 120-day transition period, if you will, that they can originate while they're doing their testing uh, and passing the test. And, and 120 so, days adequate, Pete? I mean, looking at is is there a chance that this could get elongated, the process, and then we have to go back and address that? Do we yeah, need a longer period of time? 
That's a great question. We structure it in a way that really puts the burden on both sides. So the loan officer needs to get his stuff together. He needs to be diligent about uh, uh, completing the education, taking the test, passing the test. But if the 120-day delay is on the shoulders of the regulator, then that period can go longer. So we've addressed that in the in the bill itself so that we all know New York is a challenge. And so if you're you're dealing with New York... (laughs) <laughs> you're dealing with New York, um, and New York is not approving. So you've submitted a complete application, background check, fingerprints, passed the test, took the education, and they still have not acted on your application. You would still have authority to originate in that state until the regulator took action on your on your application. So we've, we've addressed that in the bill as well. What is the probability of this happening in this uh, session? We think it's good. We've got an early start. We've got bipartisan sponsorship on both sides. The House bill's been out there a little bit longer, so we've started to build uh, a good wave of uh, uh, co-sponsors on that bill. We have two calls to action. One of the things I'd ask everybody to do is if you haven't signed up to the Mortgage Action Alliance, yes. you can do so. And then secondly, we have a call to action in the field right now on both bills. August is a great month to contact your legislators. They're home. They're getting in touch with their constituents. So August is a great month to call your member of Congress, write them. If you're, if you're a grassroots kind of guy, go make an appointment. Call the district director. Go in there. Visit with them. And you'll have, A, one very short, crisp ask, which is, you know, co-sponsor, H.R. 2948, please co-sponsor your meeting with the senator. Please co-sponsor S1753. And while you're there, tell them about what you're doing in in the local market there. Tell them how you're employing folks, putting folks into houses. August is a great month for that kind of work. And so we have an advocacy in August campaign going on right now, and, and, and the transitional licensing bills are sort of the centerpiece of that. That is so important. In fact, as you were talking, I made a decision. We have got to get someone on from the MBA, yourself or whomever, on how to do this. The importance of MAW, the Mortgage Action Alliance. It's a brilliant uh, uh, idea. And not only that, you've made it easier because we now have an app for our phone. It's not like you even have to get to a computer. And we're all sitting around somewhere waiting for something at some point in time. (laughs) Don't do it while driving or in traffic. But other than that, you can take that app and download it and make a difference for our industry. Pete, that is excellent. As we wrap up the broadcast in this interview, and again, thank you so much for taking time. You're moving your daughter into the college dorm here in a few minutes. And for you to carve out some time to join us, it really means a lot. What are some of the other things that the industry needs to be aware of that you are doing there at the MBA on behalf of independent mortgage bankers? Obviously, the big themes in Washington right now, GSC reform being one of them, and that will really kick off in earnest in the fall. And again, just to go back to that issue one more time, I think it's very important. Our small lenders will be best served if all of our associations can come together and pull in the same direction. And so I think it's important that we, even these minor differences that we have, work together to close those and uh, we'll, we'll be best able to get GSU reform that works for everybody if we all stay aligned. But the other big issues, the reg relief issue is still uh, a hot topic, both in the walls of Congress, in the halls of Congress, but inside the walls of the regulators as well. So we've been working with the Treasury Department on its core principles uh, for financial regulation, which had a whole series of recommendations, many of which uh, were ones that we made. We are rolling out a paper that is looking forward at the CFPB and what the sort of the next phase is for the Bureau. And a lot of that is focused on how we move away from this regulation through enforcement process and, and really you know, bring in what we call regulatory best practices, more guidance given to the industry rather than trying to interpret complicated, sometimes fact-specific enforcement orders and try to glean some sort of compliance regime from enforcement actions. We put together a paper that really looks at ways for the Bureau to do a much better job of providing clear, written, authoritative guidance to the industry. You know, tell us the rules, we'll follow them, but but don't, you know, don't move the goalposts on us. And and so we're yes. working on, on, on a paper that will hopefully inform both some of Congress's efforts, but also as once we get new leadership at the Bureau, and that may be a few months, uh, it could be uh, as long as a year. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a young agency, it's moving into the next phase, and we think we have some thoughtful recommendations in that space as well. 
What's the thoughts following up on what Mark Jones talked about in his interview? And I'm so glad that Mark came on. He's such he's such a good example of a leader in our industry and being involved, taking time at his own expense, his own time to travel in and make such a difference there. So that you liked his interview, and I thank you so much. But Mark talked about Mel Watts and the concern that Mel's leaving and that the Republicans might bring in a new FHFA director that may not have the interests of the independent mortgage bankers and center focus as Mel has. And I think it's so important. Uh, anything you want to add to that? Definitely. I'm, I'm glad you came back to this issue. I talked at, uh, at the beginning about the process issues as well. And there is a, there are folks that are advocating for, you know, let's just let FHFA do GSE reform and let's have Treasury recapitalize, refloat the shares and uh, we'll keep everything the way it is. And, and I think that is, uh, and it was uh, a good uh, part of, of Mark's conversation, that is a significant risk. I just think that is, first and foremost, you know, uh, we, we have a director that we know today, and, and while we have a great relationship, and he's done some very good things to move the GSEs toward the kind of vision that we just talked about, there is no guarantee any sort of administrative, what we call it administrative reform, would take five to seven years, and we don't know who the next FHFA director would be. So that, that's a very risky, sort of person-dependent approach to GSE reform. You could get somebody whose view of the GSEs is, you know, we need to significantly shrink their footprint in the market. We need to lower loan limits. We just don't know, and that's why I think the legislative path is the best way forward to protect yes. small lender interests. Great point, and we need to get it done now. And it looks like it's going to get done now. So that's that's really, really encouraging. I think we just need to hang together and work together, and we can get it done. Yeah, I'm all for that. Our listeners need to get involved with the MBA. Folks, if you're not, if you're an independent mortgage banker, a community banker, small, anyone involved in the mortgage industry, and you're not a member of the MBA, I really want to challenge you to go back and look at this and get involved. There's just... No good reason anyone has given me to not be involved, especially when you look at what's going on with Ma. Now, one person said, well, you don't have to be a member of the NBA to be active and utilizing Ma. That is accurate, and that's very smart that the NBA did that. However, there are so many benefits, especially for the independents that are listening to this interview with Pete. Pete, you have a call once a month. If you could talk just briefly about that call. I get to start to participate in it. Very excited about it. Talk about that call that you have because you review the issues. There's so much information that comes out during that monthly call. Talk about that. Yeah, so we actually have two different monthly calls. We have a monthly call. Oh, two, okay. Yeah, we have a monthly call for independent mortgage bankers. We have a monthly call for our community banks and credit unions. And uh, if you're a member of the association and you work for uh, an independent mortgage banker or a community bank, you can participate in those calls. And we'll typically we'll do a sort of a, a walk through the key issues on Capitol Hill or with the regulatory agencies that are impacting independent mortgage bankers for that call. And we'll focus on community bank issues and credit union issues. Sometimes they're the same. Sometimes all the small lenders are kind of in the same boat. But uh, we'll cover those issues at the top of the call. We'll have a guest speaker on to go do a deeper dive. It might be a compliance issue. It might be uh, one of the hot topics lately has been diversity and inclusion. How do we put together diversity and inclusion plans? That will be a, a topic on a forthcoming call. So we'll have either a business or a compliance-related topic uh, as well. But it's a great way for our smaller lenders to come together and talk about the issues and how they, uh, how some of the things in the, both the market and the regulatory sphere impact them in a unique way and helps us keep an eye on and make sure that we advocate for policies that address their concerns as well. It's a, it's a really it's good forum a, for, for us as the staff, yes. um, but it's also good for the members as well to, to share experiences. Well, I've had a privilege of presenting several times to the group. It's an honor, and I'm impressed about how it's open. It's not just a one-way conversation. Yes, you do that, open it up, but there's a lot of discussion so that happens, and that's uh, the parts of the dynamics of this I think are so valuable. Yeah, Pete, a lot thank of the ideas so come much. from our members as well. Yes, that's the a most important. Of, this topic, is, yeah, exactly. It's a member-driven call. Yeah, I, a member-driven call. Pete, thank you so much for taking time. I know you've got a sweaty job ahead of you of moving your daughter into the dorm, so we'll let you get back to that. Thank your family for letting you break away to spend a few minutes to pre-record this interview with us. Thank you so much. Have a great time and safe travels, friend. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was a good interview, and I encourage you to go to our website, 
LickingOnLending.com and listen to all the series that we've done on this important topic. We're going to be covering more on transitional licensing, but the big story is GSE reform. Probably nothing that could have a bigger impact on your job, your company, and our entire future as it relates to the entire housing finance system. It's good to have you with us, everybody. Be sure to come back next week, August 28th. We have Jessica Peterson and Susan and Oberling. I may be killing her name there. I apologize, Susan. Uh, They're both with Mortgage Prosperity Academy, and they will be unveiling how mortgage professionals can grow sales and increase revenue using social media advertising. A lot's happening in this area And I'm really excited to have these two gals come on who are friends, and I have a great deal of respect for them, and I'm looking forward to hearing their perspective on it. So if you're looking how you might want to start integrating social media, advertising, marketing, you don't want to miss next week's program. Have a great week, everybody. Looking forward to having you back here next week. And now go out and enjoy the eclipse. It's about to start here in Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm going to go catch it. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin' of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.